0: bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella windows and doors lock in your prices by February 28th and get zero percent interest for up to 48 months visit PellaWI.com
1: certain restrictions apply
2: live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue it's the Jeff Wagner Show come join the conversation on the old national bank talk and
3: text line old national bank Old. Now here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. What is going on in Walworthosa? For those of you who haven't been following this, um, it's the, the Walworthosa schools. You, you hate to say out of control, but it does sound like they're a bit out of control. Um, there's been a series of of fights. And there's been a lot more fights, I'm told, that have really gotten attention. But here's some of the ones, you know, that we know about. September 9th, Wauwatosa East football game, um, fight in the stands. Officers arrive, and there's reports that somebody had a a gun. School officials were going to clear the stadium, uh, a group of people refused to leave. Four people were ultimately arrested. The next week, September 12th, a fight broke out. Uh, Wauwatosa West students occurred outside a Starbucks near Center in Mayfair. Two days later, a fight breaks out in Wauwatosa West. I'm looking at the story of that where you have the... Uh, Uh, Student resource officers on hand had to call backup police to calm the situation. Uh, That's a fight involving six students there. Um, This is one that broke out outside the cafeteria. Medical personnel responded to the school for a student who was having difficulty breathing following the fights. So you know you you have that going on. The wall after this, and this is back in September. The Wauwatosa West principal puts up a stout statement saying it's unfortunate that the start of the school day was disrupted by this incident. Wauwatosa West is a good school populated by great students, most of which are doing the right thing every day. School safety is a top priority, and I will remain as su- and will remain as such until these incidents are eliminated from our school. I want to stress that students who choose to engage in fights will be subject to school consequences and potential legal action as well. Repeated involvement can and will result in recommendations for expulsion. Okay, that was September. Now that was Wauwatosa West. If you've been following the story, and like I say, our very own Vinny Vitrano, I think he's the one that ended up breaking this story. You can view you can view what happened, the, the video of this, the cell phone video, um on our website, 620wtmj.com, or if it's more convenient, I've reposted it on my Twitter account, um, which is you know at, at Jeff JeffWagner620. What happened yesterday, and this is this is one of these, these fights that it is just a flat-out Pier 6 brawl. The story, and it, it, it's really very difficult. You watch this video, and all you see are females just wailing on each other. I, I mean, it's you've got one female who's on the ground and somebody else who's kicking them as hard as they can. You've got people that are swinging back and forth. I mean, it is a peer 6 brawl, and a lot of people, of course, are participating in it. A lot of people are just standing around watching it. Somebody's obviously videotaping this. Um, this apparently is a fight between an adult parent and a group of Tosa East students. The, uh, let's see, the uh, principal sends out a statement saying, during the incident, a disruptive student was restrained by the Wawatosa Police Department for refusing to follow instructions. As this student was being detained, a school administrator was shoved by the parent of the student in police custody. At this time, three arrests have been made by the Wawatosa Police Department as a result of this incident. Now, you you look at this this videotape with all the people that are participating in it, and the first question that comes to mind is there's only three people that have gotten arrested in connection with this, but But let's put that aside. You have just absolute, total and complete bedlam and mayhem in the halls of Wauwatosa East. And this, of course, comes on the heels of the police being called, the multiple incidences at Wauwatosa West. And I am told... These, these are not necessarily isolated instances. These are perhaps some of the more dramatic situations, but you've got this going on on a regular basis. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. I guess I've, I've got a, sort of an open-ended question. What, what's going on here? But more importantly, you know, what should authorities be dealing, doing to deal with this? When you have a disruptive element in the school, and in this case, apparently the, the mother of one of the children was involved in, in this as well, but when you have these kids who are willing to engage in the kind of behavior that you see on this video, I, I think the logical question has to be, what, why are they still in school? I mean, seriously, for those kids who are good kids, who want to learn, You can't put them in an environment where this type of stuff is going on, which means as a starting point, number one, criminal charges, and number two, toss their butts out of school. 855-616-1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you've seen the video or you're familiar with these stories, I mean, how can you let this go on? And the truth of the matter is, Like I say, maybe this is in the extreme, but I'm told this isn't necessarily an isolated instance in the the Wauwatosa schools. And we certainly know from reported things that this was going on at Tosa West in September, and it's going on in Tosa East in February, if not more often. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, I attended Tosa High Schools in the 90s. We had fights all the time on campus and off. I don't recall it being a lead story in the news except for the shooting. (laughs) Maybe everyone involved having an HD camera in their pocket makes it seem more prevalent. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a chicken and the egg sort of thing. But if 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 this stuff has really been going on at the Tosa schools for the better part of the last 30 years, then my serious question is, OK, for all you parents in the Wawatosa schools, you know, h- how have you let the school system deteriorate that so much? I think it's. I think it's worse. Jeff, 100 percent agreed. Criminal charges, then suspension and potential expulsion. I mean, no question about it. Jeff, it's the same problem with our soaring crime rate. And the solution is so obvious. There needs to be real consequences, not excuses for this behavior um Jeff this shouldn't be a shock this is the age group that's also out stealing cars and robbing citizens of the city where they live in Jeff if you listen closely you can hear girls yelling to get off her she's just a kid that disgusting mother needs to be made an example of you wonder why the kids act up when this is their role model yeah it's, it's again it's tough to tell who's who on the video the the shorter if you watch the video the the shortest woman there, I think, is the mother um, who who's involved in this, but she's in the middle of of this as well. Jeff, I watched the video; was completely appalled. It doesn't surprise me. We have a crime problem in this city with the behavior of these kids and an adult that got involved in the fight. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I'm sure. Yeah, Jeff, the short little female is the quote-unquote mom. Jeff, these don't look like students. It looks like a prison brawl. It does look like a prison brawl. There is an element of that. If you ever watch the... um the old HBO show, like Orange Is the New Black, that was set in a women's prison. This, I mean, the, the way the way these these kids and the adult are, are going after each other. I mean, it does. It looks like a scene in a prison brawl that's um, going on there. I mean, and it's just. It's one of those situations where you're thinking, gee, what could possibly happen? Jeff, I will add that this is the just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I believe these are daily occurrences through MPS, and we just don't hear about this. Jeff, incidents like this are what cause the decline of MPS unruly students, and I would add, in this case, an out-of-control parent, take down the morale and a good environment to learn, I agree with you. You have to throw the thugs out. Jeff, this is going on everywhere to differing degrees. The lack of being able to more aggressively deal with the behavior by the districts ensures it will only continue. Um, Well, I, I think that there is an element to that. Now, it's always interesting because when you ask the school district you know, what's going on there? Um, the, the general response is, well, you know, we're we're going to deal with it. But because of privacy concerns, we're not going to tell anybody what we're going to do. Now, a, a number of people are texting and the speculation is, you know, are, are the kids that are in the video, you know, are they back in school today? You know, I think that's a a fair question to ask, you know, what what is going on? What is the discipline? What exactly happened if people were, in fact, arrested? And like I say, you look at this video and it's hard for me to believe that only three people were arrested. But there is at least a half dozen people who, assuming that they are students, there's at least a half dozen people, those kids should never be back in that high school. They just simply should not be back in that high school. There have to be consequences for this type of behavior. And candidly, it needs to be publicized. Um, you know, the school needs to deal with this. Jeff, my grandson, attends Tosa East and says they have fights every day. And his cousin goes to Waukesha West and he says they have fights every day also. Well, why is that tolerated? And, and I, I ask this—that's not a rhetorical question. Why is that type of stuff tolerated? You know, and I, it's not that—it's not that hard to simply say, okay, when you're in school. You know, you're, you're not going to be allowed to engage in this sort of behavior. And if you do, you're going to be tossed out of school. Now, Wauwatosa came out and issued a statement several months ago after, you know, some of those fights that I was talking about earlier. And, you know, th- this is part of the statement, blah, dee, blah, dee, blah. As a district, we recognize that the physical, emotional, and emotional safety of students and staff is absolutely critical to ensuring a productive learning environment. Unfortunately, over the past 18 months, Now, again, this is from a few months ago. We have seen an increase in physical altercations between students, particularly in our middle and high schools. Well, that's refreshing. You don't have the the fourth graders duking it out yet. In nearly all of the cases, the incidents began as a conflict between individuals or groups over social media that escalate to students confronting one another at school. This finding is important as it has provided district and building administrators with the information necessary to develop and implement systems and strategies to directly address a catalyst to the challenging behaviors we see exhibited by a handful of students in our schools. That's word salad. Who knows exactly what that means? But whatever whatever they did or claimed to have done to try to make the school safer, I got news for you. They didn't. It didn't work. This is going on. And I, I mean, I think a fair question. And I guess once we get the police reports and things like that, and I would encourage the Wawatosa police to release the reports of this incident as soon as possible. But there are questions. You know, what's the mother doing there? You know, why is she in the middle of this particular situation? Um, you know, what? What is going to happen to the children? Jeff, this is another reason why there needs to be school choice. Parents need to have a choice on where their children can go to schools. Jeff, I'll tell you why it's tolerated. They can't discipline it. The kids are doing it because then they have to, you know, there, there's no consequences, etc. Um Jeff, did you hear the principal is retiring because of these students? I had not heard that, but I, I can understand where if you're, if you if you go to be an educator, all right, whether you're whether you're a school administrator or whether you're a teacher, you your goal is you you want to teach that that's you want to educate the kids, and if this is the type of crap that you are dealing with on a daily basis. And, and this is how your, your day is spent. Gee, where is the next fight going to break out? Where is the next parent going to show up who's going to end up getting into a, a major fight? You've got kids that are going to be kicking people and stuff. If I can understand why, um, you know, I can understand why this is. Um, Jeff, this isn't MPS. TOSA is frequently a target for complaints about racially motivated prosecutions. TOSA can't do anything disciplinary or consequential for fear of being sued or marched on. My kids graduated only as little as five years ago, and this started in the hallways back then to my kids' horror. Um, yeah, that's that's it. Jeff, with a mother acting like a fool, no wonder the children are acting that way way. And I've got some people who are texting me and are saying, well, you know, you've got to view this, you know, why why aren't you talking about race? Well, I'm not talking about race because that's not, that is not the underlying issue here. The underlying issue is whether it's Hispanic kids or white kids or black kids, it's kids that are getting involved in this type of behavior, in these type of fights, and parents who are aiding and abetting it. And that's what you need to focus on, the behavior. Teach whoever the kids are, regardless of what their race is, consequences of this type of behavior. Jeff, if the solution to this nonsense is obvious, why is it not applied? Well, that's a fair question. Like I say, a fair question would also be the kids on this video, are any of them back in school today? And if a single one of those kids is back in school today, the question for the superintendent who is a controversial figure in and of himself, would be, why are these kids there? Jeff, allowing a parent to be in the hallway was an error in this event. I'm an MPS teacher, and we do not allow parents to be in the area with other students. The parent harming a student is intolerable. I don't know TOSA's procedures, but parents should not be allowed in the general area unless directly taken by a safety aide or an administrator. Jeff, it's going to take more people and more money. Are citizens going to accept that? Well, the alternative is people are going to pull their kids out of the schools. I think that's the reality. Um Jeff, this is the reason why more and more parents are putting their children in private schools or online schools. I refuse to put my daughter in the public schools. Um, yeah, Jeff, without revealing too much, I work in Wauwatosa. These types of fights happen all the time. The city and the school administrators hide crime stats and incidents like this all the time. I am hearing that from other people as well. That the the general strategy has been we're really, despite what we might say, we're not going to be transparent because we don't want the general public to understand how bad this is. This is not unlike, you know, Bayshore Shopping Center years ago. They used to do this with shoplifting. And I understand this is different from shoplifting, but, you know, merchants were encouraged not to file police reports about shoplifting. Because you file the police reports, you complain about shoplifting, that becomes a public record, and people would see how prevalent it would be, and then people might be afraid to go to the different stores because of the crime. If if this is going on in the schools, and there are, in fact, fights happening on a regular basis, but we're trying to downplay that because we don't want people to know how bad it is, well, that's a problem problem as well the school needs to be transparent and i'm not sure we're getting a lot of that but before i i throw it to the news let me just share a couple texts that i've gotten on this because this is why there needs to be follow-up on this story uh, Jeff, my husband is a teacher at one of the Wawatosa Middle Schools. They are absolutely told not to suspend or discipline the kids that are getting into fights. It's becoming a very dangerous situation for both staff and the students. Jeff, I work in a school that has the same problems. We've been told they don't want the suspension rate to go up, and they want a zero percentage rate for suspension. That's why they can't kick them out. Teachers don't know what to do anymore because they don't get support from the administration. Yeah, see, that's... That's the factor that's there, and that would be an interesting question to go ask uh, Doctor Means, who is the guy that b- before he kind of ran the, the the Mequon school system into the ground, you know, then he left and went to Wawatosa. This is a fair question. What is the true incidence of fights that are going on? What is happening? Have people really been told? Look, we don't want to suspend people because we don't want those um, we don't want those numbers to you know come. Out, um, That's, I think, one of the questions. This is the main reason why I quit teaching. I strongly suspect there's a history of students engaging in belligerent behavior towards students and teachers with very little or no consequences from the administrators. Um, Jeff? If you contact Dr. Means and the school board asking what discipline um, was enacted for these kids, they'll tell you they can't say anything, but rest assured it was handled. Jeff, Tosa administrators don't want the true numbers sent back to DPI. All right, seems to me that that is a follow-up story to ask. Are they covering up the true amount of violence that goes on in the Tosa school system? So very glad to have you with us. All right, it is no secret to anybody that there has been an epidemic of car theft going on in the city of Milwaukee and in other urban areas across the country as well. And while all sorts of cars get stolen, it's turning out that there's two types of cars in particular, Kia and Hyundai's, that are stolen a lot more than all the other types of cars. Why? Because it's easier to steal them because many cars, particularly most of the the newer cars that have like the push-button starts... They have what are called engine immobilizers, which means that you've got your key fob in your pocket and you know you need your key fob to start the car. So what happens is if you don't have that key fob, the, the car isn't going to start or it's not going to go very far. It will be immobilized. Well, there's various models of these Kias and Hyundai that don't have the, the push button starts. They still use the old ignition. Um, the vehicles affected are 2015 to 2019 Hyundai and Kia models with turnkey ignitions as opposed to the the push button start. And what happens with, again, outgoing into the details of this, if you've got the the key the ignition the old key sort of thing, you can steal the car and it won't shut off. There's not engine immobilizers. There's also an issue with regard to um, some of the... You can break the back window in some of these cases, and if you do it in a certain way, the car alarm isn't going to go off for a long period of time. So these cars are being stolen. The response of some people in on the Milwaukee Common Council has been, instead of going after the car thieves, it's been, okay, what we should do is we should end up suing, you know, the car manufacturers for producing these cars that people can steal. And, of course, my response has always been, well, why, why don't we concentrate on going after the car thefts? But right now... Kia and Hyundai have announced that they are, for the cars that are affected, here's the deal. They are going to provide a software update, free of charge, that will be handled in a phased-in approach. The upgrade modifies the control models on Hyundai vehicles that have the standard turn to key to start ignition systems. And once the computer system is upgraded, locking the doors with the key fob will set the factory alarm and will activate an ignition kill feature so the vehicles can't be started when vehicles, when people try to take off with them. Now, the way this is going to work is customers will have to use the key fob to unlock their vehicles and deactivate the engine kill feature. So it is going to be kind of this extra step. And then what they're going to do is they're also going to give out a window sticker alerting would-be thieves that the vehicle is equipped with anti-theft protection. So they put this like thing on the back car the car saying, Hey, if you think that this is one of those kias that you're going to be able to steal easy, don't bother doing it because we've got the window sticker there. So that's that is what they are offering to do. And according to Hyundai, All of the company's vehicles produced since November of 2021 have an engine immobilizer. So this is, it's a problem that is pretty much exclusive to, you know, three or four or five model years of this car. But now they're rolling out and they're saying, okay, this is what our solution is going to be. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, if you are an owner or you know people who own these particular model cars, is this gonna satisfy you? Are you gonna be happy that, okay, they've rolled out this software thing, and once we make the adjustment to this, you know, you're gonna need to use the key fob to open up the car door and to deactivate this, but it's going to make the car less likely to be sold, to be stolen. Is this a satisfactory response to this problem? And from the perspective of people who own Hyundai's and and Kia's, will this make you, I don't know, perhaps more likely to buy one of these in the future? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Are you happy that this is what they've come up with? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Um, If you're just tuning in, uh, Kia and Hyundai have announced that they've got uh, they've got a fix that they're going to be rolling out for the, these model years 2015 through 2019 that are getting stolen right and left. And essentially, it's software update. And in, in order in order to get the car to run, you're going to have to have the key fob, and you're going to need to use the key fob to essentially unlock the the system so you can turn the key and start it. Right now, what happens is you just need the key, and there's no engine immobilizer. I think as a starting point, I, they had to do this, I think, first of all, they're afraid of a class-action lawsuit that's going on, um, not, not the city trying to sue them because these cars are getting stolen, but owners who are saying that, hey, th- this is a defect. Secondly, from the perspective of resale value, th- this has got to be, at least in my opinion, really, really good news for any of you who bought one of these cars, not understanding there was the problem, because my, my comment would be good I can't imagine how how you would resell one of these cars in the secondary market for anything close to what it's worth. I mean, who would buy one of these cars knowing that if you park it on the streets, it's it's in all likelihood going to be stolen? Now that you have this software fix, assuming that it works, I think it, it might, might help the cars retain a little bit of their resale value. Susan in Brookfield. Susan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. susan hello hi susan hi go ahead
0: hi i have a 2019 hyundai elantra and i couldn't believe that i had a, bought another car that was easy to steal i had a car stolen years ago a cutlass supreme and they were popular to uh, steal then too i would be happy to have a software update i unlock my car with the key fob all the time anyway um, and I I don't think it's the car thieves who should – I mean, I do think it's the car thieves who should be gone right. after, not the manufacturers, but I would love to have the software upgrade.
3: Well, well, right, and, and to me, I think, you know, we're, like I was just saying a minute ago, where you're really going to get the, the payback on this is when you go to trade in the car or sell the car because right. – I have I have to imagine. Right. Um, look, I I mean I don't know, but I, I if if I were in the market for a used car, there's no way without that software update <laughs> that I would want to buy a Kia or a Hyundai. I just I just wouldn't. That's so this has yep. got to be
0: absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah thanks for calling. You, you might not be
0: able no. to. Insur-
3: okay. Right. Bye. Um, no. Thanks for calling. So, no. Well, well, you're you're exactly right. Um, we talked about that. And sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But you're exactly right. You know, a number of insurance companies. Progressive, and I'm drawing the blank on another one, in various parts of the country, have announced that they're not going to insure these cars. That, that they just flat out said, we're not going to insure the cars, or alternatively, we're going to jack up the rates for insuring these cars to just sort of ridiculous levels, because, and, and look, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when they did that, I, I don't fault the insurance companies, it, it's all about risk, but the people who get screwed over, and over and over, are the people who in good faith bought these vehicles. So hopefully, you know, if you implement this fix and the software fix does work, and you're able to get the message out. I do kind of like the idea that you're going to put the sticker on the car that tells the bad guys this is theft protected. So if you bust into this, you're not going to be able to steal this. So go find another key or a <laughs> Hyundai to steal. Um, that's, that's essentially what the message is, and that and that's why at the heart of this, it's the criminals that, that are the ones that are responsible for it. But my, my heart goes out to the people like Susan who, in good faith, buy these vehicles and now find themselves stuck with cars that I'm going to describe as a lemon a lemon in the sense that they are target for thieves and there's not much that the honest person can do doug and mcguanago doug you're on wtmj
2: hi jeff
1: um hi, doug. i i think it's a day late and a dollar short because uh, their, their reputation is is taking a hit true well i i think it's more the criminals problem than the manufacturers but right. they should have done this a couple of years ago Because right now, it's become like sport. When you hear of a 17-year-old who's stolen and gotten caught with his 30th stolen car in Milwaukee, what's wrong with society? I mean, you and I are contemporaries in age. When we were a kid, and you had a friend who got caught stealing a car, it was a huge deal. Now it's like literally like jaywalking.
3: But well, I, yeah, and your, and your parents wouldn't let you hang out. And your parents, gee, you know, Doug, you and I are buddies, and I go out and steal a car, and your parents find out about it. They say, "Hey, you're, you're not hanging out with your low life buddy Jeff anymore." <laughs> you know, I, I don't want you, no. you know, to, to get drawn into that. But right now, you get the idea that stealing cars is almost a badge of honor among some of these people, these kids.
1: I my daughter had her Optima broken into. It didn't get stolen. Because she had an Optima that had the push-button start. and right. But you're not dealing with rocket scientists here. So they broke yeah. her window out and destroyed her steering column that didn't even have the key in the steering column. So they right. just they did so much damage to her car that the insurance company totaled it because they would have to pay for a rental car for six months to a year because her car uh, you know, would be in the shop right. that long because there were no steering columns. They were all, the junkyards yeah. were emptied out of steering columns because of this problem so she had to yeah. go out and find a new car uh you know and, and they're just a day late and a dollar short now
3: no D- no doug thanks to call i and I, I don't think there's any question that this is is in fact going to to hurt the, those cars i mean I mean, I, I, I ordered a new car a few months ago. I lost the car in the the flood in, in Florida. And so I, I ordered a car to replace it. And I'm, theoretically, it's going to be in in the late February or early March or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I I I will tell you, I, I, I know people who drive Kia's and Hyundai's. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. Jeff, I'm actually looking for a new vehicle. I will not even consider a Kia or Hyundai because I would feel like I was a target for vehicle thieves. I would never feel safe as I'm not sure the vehicle thieves bother to look up the model year of the car before trying to steal it. That is a very good point. Also, I just don't think thieves will pay too much attention to a window sticker and at minimum will break into the vehicle and attempt to steal it. Nope. Again, I will not even consider one of these. I think there is an element to that. Jeff, I'm in the market for a used car. There are a lot of Kia and Hyundais for sale cheap. I will not touch either one of them anywhere. Um, let's see, Jeff, this is more than an adequate fix. I don't blame Hyundai for this, but our criminal justice system. Well, I think there 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 is an element to that. There's no question about that. And there, there's there's an element uh, of that, and, and that's why... For people who think that, okay, you, you make this software fix and that's going to stop the problem of car theft, au, au contraire. I mean, because you've still got the people that are inclined to steal cars out there. They might become more sophisticated or they might start stealing other type of cars or you might see an increase in carjackings or things like that. No, until you get the criminals off the street, you're not solving it. But I do think that at least short term for the people who have purchased these cars – not knowing that they were going to be a target for thieves, this is at least a, a good step. You know, would it make me feel better about Kia and Hyundai? Uh, that's a different story. Danielle in Milwaukee. Danielle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. What do you think? Yeah. So, well, I bought, I was just after a divorce, getting on my feet, you know, I bought this awesome car it was just before it was like a 2020 Honda to sport you know thought i would get a sedan that boys had like a crossover and i was like oh i'll I'll do that and this is before like the the kia boys and all that uh came about um and a couple of months later car got destroyed absolutely destroyed um and i had progressive insurance and it cost about four thousand dollars to get the whole thing fixed. They didn't steal it. I, I don't. I don't know if somebody caught them or something. I'm not hundred percent right. sure. But um, yeah, Progressive denies. They they won't even take my. I, I they won't uh, cover my car anymore.
3: So so you, do, um, so you can't. Do you, now? Do you still have the, the same vehicle? You see, you have the same car. That they fixed I do. Okay, but they won't. Do. But they yeah, won't. They, they won't ensure it moving forward. You're on your own, huh? Nope.
0: Hmm. Yeah, wow. I'm on my own. Yep, I found another company that's actually cheaper. But man, I if I would have known, it, it was like months—just a few months before I bought it, all this stuff happened. I'm like, are you serious?
3: <laughs> Um, well, wow. so. Danielle, thanks thanks for the call. And I, I, if 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 it's any consolation, you are in a, you're in a leaky boat. But there's lots of people who are in that same boat. I agree with our caller, Doug. I, I think in many respects that this fix is 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 way too late. But at least it is something that when this is implemented it might at least allow some of the people who bought these cars in good faith to I don't know, be able to, to sell them at, at some semblance of what the value should be and it might encourage some of the insurance companies to not do what, what ended up happening to Danielle and say okay you know, you're, we're not going to not insure you simply because of the vehicle that you've chosen to drive but it, it's a mess and let's not lose sight of, of the real problem the real problem is you have criminals that are out on the street and we do absolutely nothing to get them off the street and that's not going to change i think until you have a sea change of attitude among the legislatures legislators until you have a different da in milwaukee county and you have judges that are willing to hold people accountable live
2: from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff
3: wagner show now here's wtmj's jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. One week from today, we will presumably know who the surviving candidates are in the primary that's going to be held next Tuesday to determine who the finalists are for the state supreme court seat that will be up. The general election is in early April. And there's some really, really interesting trends that that deserve Discussion, as we've talked about before, this is this is a nonpartisan race on, on paper, meaning that the candidates don't run as Republicans or, or Democrats. But there, there's no secret about it. There are two candidates who have been making no bones about the fact that they are running as as liberals. Um, the the leading of those two candidates is Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Janet Protasewicz, who has been. I think kind of rewriting the rule book when it comes to what's previously been considered to be ethical in judicial elections. You know, she's going around essentially telling people how she is going to rule on different issues. You know, if you look at some of her ads, it's all abortion all the time. And there is, of course, a case that the regarding the state's abortion law. Well, she's made no secret. You elect her and she's she's going to toss that. She's made no secret how she feels about um, some of the issues with regard to the way the districts are drawn. So she's, like I say, really kind of revamping the ethics rules, and she's indicating that she's going to be the the liberal savior who will, if you put her on the bench, she, together with the three other liberal justices, will um, reverse a lot of stuff that's happened in Wisconsin over the last 10 or 11 years. And her campaign has essentially become national. We'll talk about that in in just a minute. The two conservatives running are former Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly. Kelly was appointed by Scott Walker in 2016. He lost to a liberal challenger in 2020. He's been you know, trying to get that seat back since then. The other candidate, you just heard her ad, Jennifer Doro, who is from the, the from Waukesha County. She's been a judge for 11 years. Before that, she was a prosecutor and a defense attorney. She is one of the other conservative alternatives that are running. Though What's been really interesting about this is, again, the national flavor that this has taken. Janet Protosawitz, the liberal, is bringing in a huge amount of money, but... By and large, it, it's out of state money. For example, the candidates had to report the amount of money they had raised between the first of the year and uh, February sixth, and that those reports had to be in by Monday. More than okay. So Prosewicz announced that um, she had raised two hundred thirty-five thousand dollars from large donations of that 235,000 206,000 came from out of state donors and these there are people in New York there are people in California there are liberals all over the country that are pouring money into the campaign of Janet Protosiewicz in an effort to try to influence the outcome of decisions in Wisconsin and I, there's, I mean, there's there, there's nothing illegal about it, but I think it's pretty much unprecedented to see this out-of-state money pouring in in an effort to try to influence a, a state Supreme Court race. It's not like, gee, you've got out-of-state money that's pouring in trying to get a Democrat or Republican elected to the U.S. Senate, so maybe that's going to have control of the U.S. Senate. Now, this is... This is liberals from all over the country who are spending a ton of money to try to elect a, a liberal to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And it's interesting because right now you have the two conservatives. And of the two conservatives, one of them is kind of running, a that would be Dan Kelly, is kind of running the scorched earth campaign you know, going around and trying to trash Jennifer Doro, the other candidates. So while you have the liberals pretty much united behind one candidate, and I understand that there's two that's running, but from a fundraising perspective, you know, everybody's all in on the liberal Milwaukee County court judge. Meanwhile, the conservatives are kind of squabbling back and forth, and Dan Kelly refuses to even say whether he and some of his hardcore supporters will support Jennifer Doro if and when he loses on Tuesday. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here's where I'm I'm going with this. And I was talking to somebody about this at dinner last night. I think it's way past time for the conservatives to grow up in, in Wisconsin and recognize what is going on here. There is a concerted and successful effort By well-heeled, big-money liberal groups, not only individual donors, but also some of these kind of dark money groups. One of these dark money groups that euphemistically calls itself something like a Better Wisconsin is is spending like darn near a million dollars running ads trashing Jennifer Doro. Why are they trashing Jennifer Doro? Because they want Dan Kelly to win because they believe, correctly in my mind, that Kelly would be, of the two conservatives, he'd be the less likely to get elected. So they're, they're trying to convince Republican voters or conservative voters to vote for Dan Kelly, knowing that he's more likely to lose in the general election. But there is a concerted effort that's being run on a national level, and it is extremely well-funded to try to flip the Wisconsin Supreme Court with all the things that will mean. And part of the thing that I think is going on here is, is I'm not sure conservatives see that happening or are as alarmed as they, at least in my opinion, need to be to realize that, hey, this election, I'm going to use the word stolen. I don't mean stolen in terms of like the, the ballot boxes. But, but I mean, I think, you know, I think this election could be taken from conservatives because they just naively fail to understand what is going on here. And the first thing that needs to happen is the conservative candidates who are running need to come out with a Pledge of Unity and recognize that, you know, whichever one of them emerges from the primary on Tuesday um, needs the support of everybody who does not want to see this policy shift that you're going to get if the liberals win? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We, you know, I haven't taken phone calls on, on the Supreme Court race uh, yet because it, you've got the primary coming up and I I'll, will obviously spend a lot more time on it during the general election. But I, I want to at least devote a segment to this because I'm watching this go on on a daily basis and I'm not getting the sense That people, at least some people, recognize, you know, what is happening, where this money is going, some of the what I'm going to call the slimy tactics that here we're going to, we've got a liberal group that's going to try to trash one of the conservative candidates because they want the weaker conservative candidate to win. I'm just not sure people are tuned into this, and I'm wondering if it's going to be perhaps too late. 855-616-1620. Are you focused on the Supreme Court race, and do you see what I see going on? We discuss in just a moment. One of our texters is saying, are are there places that you can go and and look at where the contributions come from? Yeah, these are all public records, but I'll I'll give you just a a summary because Janet Protese, she's the one that's getting, she's the liberal, that's getting all of this huge money support that's pouring in from all over the country. For example, um, the, the, let's. I'm not talking about the dark money groups, just the money you can give directly to campaigns. Let me give you just a list here. Her campaign has received the maximum $20,000 allowed by state law from Robert and Justine Haslow of Adina, Minnesota, Alida Messenger from Afton, Minnesota, Lee and Louise um, Lanier of Los Angeles, and Susan Lubar of Madison. So that, that's one local donor. All the other max out donors are from out of state. Protesawitz has received $10,000 donations from Joanne Witty of Bedford Hills, New York; Tracy Solomon of San Rafael, California; Mary Ann Halkins of New York City, and Marilyn Duker of Pikesville, Maryland. Yeah, this is this is going to be the Wisconsin Supreme Court justice from the east or the west coast. It's and, and again, this isn't. We're not even talking about. All the the money that has poured into the you know various like, like I'm calling them the dark money type of things that are running like the different ads. It's tougher to figure out you know where those groups are are getting their money from. But um, I, I say that this one group, a better Wisconsin, they they're spending darn near a million dollars to try to trash Dar- Doro in the primary because. They believe that she will be the more difficult candidate to beat in the general election. 855-616-1620. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ.
2: Great. Uh, interesting topic. Um, I'm, I would vote liberal in this race, but I still find it disgusting. And it just, this, is what, what, this is what turns me off about politics. I'm sure the Republicans would do the same thing if, it, if the tide was turned. But this is just not right. And I guess I have a question for you: Would ranked choice voting in an open primary negate this?
3: You know, what do you think? I and I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know how I feel about ranked choice voting. I don't, I don't think it worked out very well in Alaska, but that was a partisan primary. You know, what, what do you think? Do you think that would be good? In an I,
2: yeah. open primary, I think it would work because um, you wouldn't have to worry about, uh, you know, the uh, Republican losing if, if there wasn't a majority uh, of one, you know, a majority vote yeah. on one person. If there was, uh, you know, that your second choice would be either yeah. one of the two Republicans, and that would might, you know, be something that would help out in a case like this. Again, I'm advocating for, for a candidate I don't like, but I mean... Right, no, know, no, 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 that, no, this, I, I... Should that be going
3: on? Right, no, Bob, thanks for the call. I, I get it, and I, I just, and I I have to, I, I don't, my general reaction is I don't think much of ranked choice voting, but I, I don't, I, I don't want to say that definitively, because I, I haven't thought how it work in, in some of these nonpartisan primaries, but I, I do, I, this... You know, we we always talk about elections being important, but this is a very significant election because for the first time in a long time, this is this is a race which would um, tilt the ideological slant of, of the court. And, and there's no question. Again, Janet Protasewicz has made no, no bones about it. And, and this is, we're, we're sort of in uncharted ethical territory because she's pretty much signaled how she's going to rule on a number of these cases. And, and that's undoubtedly why she, she's getting all this money in. My prediction is, if she is one of the two candidates that emerges from the election on Tuesday, you're going to see I mean, if you thought you saw a lot of abortion ads um, during the November election, this this Supreme Court race, it's going to be pretty much all abortion all the time because Protossiewicz has been very, very clear that I, I think she will you know, strike down anything that limits uh, abortion. And I think she's hoping to kind of ride that together with a lot of national money into the election. Will it work or not? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I think... This does need to be a, a wake-up call for conservatives because, at least at this point, it's somewhat of a of a circular firing squad. Now, I do know that there are a number of big-money Wisconsin conservative donors who are kind of sitting this one out right now for the primary because they're just legitimately unsure it's a, which direction that they want to move. Now, I, I think... I mean, I think the choice is pretty clear, but but some of them um, I, I think are, are kind of like holding off with this, and I'm hoping that once one of the two conservatives, assuming one of the two conservatives emerges as one of the top two vote getters on Tuesday, that at that point in time people will 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 start to play in this, and you're going to see the the money that ends up. Um, Coming in. Uh, let's see, Jeff. I absolutely see this. These groups did the same thing in the primary for governors. So Michaels would beat Clayfish as he was weaker against Evers. Well, that's that that is the new tactic. You know, and if you if you follow me on Twitter, um, it, it was impl- I, I have a link to a story. There's another race where that's going on as well. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. There is It it happens to be the district that I live in. State Senator Alberta Darling um, retired at the end of last year. So her seat is up. It is a special election. We're essentially talking about northern part of Milwaukee County, which is liberal, and then um, across Ozaukee County and Washington County and a portion of Waukesha County that tends to be conservative. It is a conservative-leaning district. It should be a Republican hold. It, It should be. Um, just because of the makeup of the district. There are three Republicans who are running. There's Van Mobley, who's the former mayor of Thienesville. Um, there's um, Janet Brandigen, who is a state representative from Menominee Falls. And I don't apologize for saying this. She's a nut. She's been tossed out of the Republican caucus. She's one of these people that really went down the Trump rabbit hole, you know, full bore. And then there's Dan Canodal, who's the other state representative, who I, I'm I, I, I voted already he 's the guy I voted for. I thought it was the obvious I thought it was the obvious choice in this matter, but you 've got the Democratic Party of Wisconsin that is sending out mailers into these districts, encouraging people to vote for brandigen because she's she 's donald trump 's candidate well because they 're hoping that you know she 'll come out of this three way primary and then what 's going to happen is she 's going to get slaughtered in the general election she 's probably well, she's probably the one of the three who has the least chance of being able to hold that seat. But that's the kind of stuff that, that goes on there. But let's play in these races. Let's try to, in this case, the Democrats invest in trying to convince people to vote for the candidate that they think is most likely to be defeated. And candidly, I'll be honest, because Republicans sort of bought into this, it. I think it resulted in some poor candidate choices that led to some of these races that should have been won by the Republicans in 2022 not being won. It will probably be a success, but I think I'm going to pass on this one. The Milwaukee Repertory Theater is going to be commissioning a new musical that I think will run next season. Um, They're making Run Bambi Run, a musical on on Lori, Lori Bembenek, who, of course, was convicted in 1982 of murdering her the uh, Christine Schultz, who was the ex-wife of her husband, and then escaped from prison, conned some guy into helping her bust out of jail, and then they went on the lam for a while. And, and of course, this has been the subject of podcasts and things of, of the like, and we're, we're, everybody's fascinated with that because before the murder and stuff, Lorenzia Bembenek was for a brief period of time she was a Playboy bunny at the Playboy Club and things like that. Um, it's just the, the story; it, it's quintessential '80s Milwaukee. Um, I think I'm going to pass. I, I've always I've always told the story. I um I was in law school during that trial, and I can remember I together with a couple of my classmates, including my late wife, we. We went down, we watched Laurencia Bembanic testify. She testified in her own behalf. I don't know I don't know if she killed Christine Schultz or not. I don't know if she acted alone or if she did kill her, if she acted alone, or if there were other people. I, I don't I don't know because it was a mess. I do know this. I watched her testify. There was no doubt in my mind that when she was testifying on the witness stand, she was lying. I just no, no question about it. And I don't think anybody that was in the courtroom that day who watched her testify um, came away with a conclusion other than the fact that she wasn't telling the truth. And I, I, my experience, having tried lots and lots of cases, is if a defendant gets on a witness stand and and lies, um, that's that that's that's a killer. That that's just You know, it's it makes it impossible for a jury to go back and say, "Okay, well, you know, we don't believe what she's saying, but let's try to go, you know, behind the scenes and figure something else out. Uh, So I've always been agnostic on her guilt or not. But if if you want to see a modified version of it, run, Bambi, run coming to the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. (music) Diane Feinstein is the U.S. Senator from California. Uh, interesting story. She entered politics at the age of 36 when she was elected to the California board, the San Francisco board of supervisors. Okay, so that's, that's where she goes back. She became, and if you're familiar with the movie um, Milk, Milk which was written by uh, with the, the movie Milk, which starred Sean Penn, and it was uh, about Supervisor Harvey Milk. You know, it was very successful at the time. Um, she became the acting mayor in San Francisco in 1978 after Harvey Milk and the mayor, George Moscone, were, were murdered. Um, and so that that's, but she goes back to 1969. In 1992, she became, uh, the first woman who was elected to the U.S. Senate in California. But she actually started her political career, like I say, relatively late, 1969, when she was 36 years old. She was elected to the U.S. Senate in California in 1992 in a special election, and she has been reelected every time she has come up for election, you know, since then. She is going to be 90 years old later this year. And when her term ends, um, she'll be, like, pushing 92. Uh, if, and, and, look, and I'm, I don't think I'm being unduly either unfair or harsh when I say this because this has been a subject of conversation quite a bit. Um, she's, she is slipping. There, there's no question about it. People who, you know, have watched her are talking about how she's – it's pretty much, you know, her aides who are running the, the show because she's She's slipping. And this—I don't mean to be ageist about this—but you know, it, there there's, comes a time where you know, Father Time catches up to us all. Well, she announced yesterday, to the relief of a lot of people, that she was not going to run for re-election. I mean it's entirely possible that she was going to run for re-election again at the age of 92 but she's announced that she's not going to run for re-election. Democrats in the state had been pushing her to step down and resign because that would have let the governor of California to choose somebody, choose her successor and, and appoint somebody. She said she's not going to do that. She's going to hang on. She's going to serve out her entire term. But like I say, she'll be pushing 92 when that term expires and One of the things that's there is if she had chosen to run again, she would have in all likelihood won. In the Constitution, there are certain rules. For example, to be a U.S. senator, you must be at least 30 years old. You you can't. Yet you have to be at least 30 years old to be a U.S. senator. You have to be 35 to be the president of the United States. So we have minimum age requirements that are built in. When you look at some of these senators and some of the congressmen who have been in forever and who essentially stay there forever, one of the questions that I I think is fair to raise is if we've got If we've got a minimum threshold, if we say you need to be 30 to be a U.S. Senator, is it unreasonable to say we should have an upper age limit as well? And I understand that that is an uncomfortable thing to talk about because we all aspire to continue to live long and productive lives. And the truth of the matter is that, you know, there there are people who into their 70s and You know, perhaps into their 80s, who can be you know very very productive, but at the same time, you know, age is one of those things where for for most of us, we you know our our we our our butts don't age like fine wine. It's just you reach a certain point where your hearing deteriorates, your eyesight deteriorates, your reflexes deteriorate, your cognitive skills deteriorate, and I I don't I don't want to make this about Joe Biden. I mean, that the election is going to be about Joe Biden. But I want to talk about U.S. Senate. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I firmly believe that the time has come to consider. And again, you need a constitutional amendment. So I want to talk about this in theory. I think there should be an upper age limit on when you can run for election. For example, I don't know. I I think if it were me, I might say, okay, um, you you cannot run for reelection if you're going to turn, I would pick 80. If you're going to pick, turn 80 during the course of your term, that's it. So if you're running for Senate and you're 75 years old, that's fine. It's a six-year term. But since you're going to hit 80 during your term, by the time, you know, your term is up, you would be out. I think That would be a positive thing. It would guarantee that you get, hey, you you might end up getting some of those young whippersnappers in their early 70s or whatever. And the problem is, the way the system works is you have some of these older politicians who are so very deeply ingrained, and they raise so much money, and they come from states where... They're essentially one-party states, whether it's Republican or, or Democrat. That you know they get to stay in there pretty much as long as they want, and you get situations like this Diane Feinstein situation, where whatever you think about her career, all right, she's clearly not up to the task right now. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the old National Bank Talk and Text line. I, I think we we have to come up with some idea. And if you if you think I'm too harsh, and and maybe the limit needs to be a little bigger. I mean, I think 80 is kind of a nice round number, and, you know, you don't have to retire when you're 80, but once you hit 80, you could not run for re-election again. So if you're a congressperson, two-year term, you run when you're 79, okay, then that means it's it. You clear the way for new blood. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. That's my producer Charlie Neil Young, old man. Eight five five six one six one. Does a Diane Feinstein announces that she's, she's going to retire at the end of her term when she will be ninety two. Um, apparently, there was some consideration about her running again. Look, you got to be thirty to be in the U.S. Senate. I, I think. It's way past time to put in upper age limits as well. My idea is you can't run for reelection if you turn eight after you've turned eighty. So if you're seventy-eight, you get elected to a six-year term, fine. But when eighty-four rolls around, you're you're out. I would do this for the president as well, but we're talking about Senate right now. Mike and Mequon, Mike, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, Jeff. I like to bring this subject up. It it just seems ridiculous that we force pilots, commercial pilots, to retire. Surgeons retire because of the stress and loss of dexterity. We even ban certain people as they get older from driving. This is about power and ego. And I think a simpler solution would be term limits. Ten for a congressman and six for a senator. And then also a ban that prevents you from lobbying Congress until a five-year period is up.
3: Yeah, um, Mike. Thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I got the, the the lobbying ban. I, I've never had a problem with. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not so much with with term limits. See, my my concern is that that you have people who are are past their their shelf life that, that are running. I mean, term limits. You know, you you could get somebody that you said like. For example, you know, ten terms in Congress, well, you could get somebody that got elected to Congress when they were thirty and then they're being forced out when they're fifty uh, if if the electorate wants them that's fine I'm more concerned with declining skills. I like what you were saying, Mike, about the you know like the pilots for example um but it, it's it, it's more pronounced and it's more pronounced than that you look at. Lots and lots of of our big companies around here, and and they have mandatory retirement ages of of 65. A lot of law firms, it's the same thing. You know, 65 or 66, it's time to phase out. And in some cases, it's a mandatory, you're gone. And in other cases, it might be sort of a a gradual thing that we begin to phase out but the idea is you need new blood that is coming in and and i don't think that that's an unreasonable thing now again you, you can argue with me about you know what's the appropriate you know what's the appropriate time um with that you know jeff how would you get the people who make the rules make the rule for themselves it won't happen well, yeah, that's, I think that's, um, you know, that's it. Jeff, I respectfully disagree. Well, I was a student at the Medical College of Wisconsin. I had professors in their 70s running circles around me. 80 hours a week was the standard for them, and they were amazing teachers. My argument would be that that is the exception, not necessarily the rule. But, but more importantly, okay, when, when you're. What is the purpose of hanging on at the age of, of, of 80 to the U.S. Senate seat? It's exactly what our first caller was talking about. You know, it's about power and ego. Um, Jeff, I think the limit should be 70. Um, Jeff, I see your point, but everyone is a little different. Some people can start to decline earlier than you might expect, while others can stay sharp for years afterwards. I think the tricky part is how to handle that potential decline when someone is in a position regardless of, of age. Well, that that's why you do it across the board. You you don't worry necessarily about that that decline. You just simply say, okay, this is the upper limit. And I, I guess I mean part of it is the way our system is built is that once you are an entrenched senator. Like look here's the quote Diane Feinstein, if she would have run for reelection two years from now at the age of ninety two, she would have been reelected. You know, it's a state that's going to be controlled by Democrats. She she has all this money, all this power. I mean, so what's the person going to run on the campaign? Well, she's too old. Well, that's not going to go anywhere. She would have been reelected. Jeff, I totally agree with you on your upper age limit for Congress, but I think it should apply to the presidency as well. Um, I agree, actually. Jeff, the age, and, and that's, see, that is my frustration. Let's take the politics out of it. You know, Donald Trump, what is, he'd be 78. Joe Biden would be 82. I mean, Seriously? Seriously, can't we find that next generation of of leaders that that is out there? And I I understand, you know, be careful what you ask for and stuff. But still, I I just this idea that that you have these people who just are are so so, I mean, it's so obsessed with, with protecting the power and things like that, that they have to hang on when they are clearly, you know, in a state of, of somewhat decline. I mean, you look, you, you talk to anybody, and I'm, I'm closer to 80 than I am to 30, not there for a while, but I'm closer to 80 than I am to 30, but, you know, you talk to anybody who is in their 70s and their 80s, and they will tell you that they are, they're not as sharp, if they're being honest, they'll tell you they're just flat out not as sharp as they were when they were 30 or, or 40. That's just the, the reality of it, whether it's reflexes or movements or balance or hearing or eyesight. And I appreciate that there's some like 75 year olds that can probably run rings around some 45 years old, you're year old, but I think you have to have some point. And if we're going to say you need to be 30 to be a U.S. senator, well, OK, if you don't, if you, you know, don't think there should be an upper age limit, my point would be, why do you have a lower age limit? I mean, seriously, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I need, believe we need age limits and term limits. Perhaps if politicians knew that their time in office was limited, they might be less afraid to reach across the aisle. Wouldn't that be interesting? You know, I, I don't know if we're going to get to it today, but I, I do I do mean to have another conversation about Social Security because I, I know I talk about this, you know, once every couple of months. But this is it is a frustration of mine because Social Security and Medicare, they are going to go broke. That's just the reality. There is not a light at the end of the tunnel. That light is a train coming the other way. And and yet we have politicians who have to demonize this, starting with Joe Biden. Well, the Republicans want to cut it. No, Republicans don't want to cut it. Republicans want to figure out what we can do to keep it viable. And then, well, okay, so what do we look at? Do you look at increasing the retirement age? Oh, you can't do that. Do we look at, you know, again, um, cutting benefits? Well, I don't think that's an acceptable option. But the truth is you have to be able to have a conversation and take this on. But because you have people who are just so damn tied into trying to get reelected over and over again, and, and nobody wants to, okay, you're the one who wants to put, you know, granny on the iceberg and float her out into the middle of Lake Michigan. Nobody is willing to take on these problems seriously. And maybe if you did have, for example, some of these upper age limits and people knew that they could not run for reelection, maybe, maybe they would be willing to say, okay, I'm now going to seriously address this, this issue. And I'm willing to at least have this discussion um, that that's out there. Uh, Jeff, not sure if there's really a need for the whole constitutional redo, But in the Constitution, the minimum ages are described in the same sentence. So, um, you know, you you could add the verbiage. Jeff, does Hubie Brown need to keep covering basketball games? He's 89. Hubie Brown can cover basketball games as long as whatever network he wants wants to hire him. But, But covering a basketball game isn't the same as being a United States senator. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, I'm 79, and I am as sharp as, as ever. You know, no, I, I can't run any marathons or whatever, but I don't think that's a requirement for being in Congress. But I do think you have to have a limit, because as you get older, you know, 80, and you move on, things happen very quickly. Yep. And so, um, you know, 79 and I get elected, you know, by 81 I could be a mess. I mean, you yeah. know, and so you need to um, put some limits in, and I think your 80 is a, a good one. Um, yeah, so no, that, I get elected that, right. at 70, 79, right. no. and I could go for a few more years, but you right. can't get elected at 80 because things can go to hell in a handbasket really fast.
3: Well, Sue, thanks for the call, and you keep hanging in there, okay? And, and, and again, I... And, and, and nobody is saying, by the way, when I, when I talk about this, I, I'm not saying that di- that any uh, elected official needs to, you know, once you, you turn 80, that you need to, you know, go into the dark room and sit in the rocking chair. There's all sorts of stuff that you can do. I mean, you know, go go work with foundations. Go, you know, work, do charity work. You know, go, you know, be a consultant. I, I mean, it, it's not like saying that you, you can't continue to do stuff. I'm just saying, maybe you know, you should be able to figure out what that next act in your life is going to be. Jeff, I agree. Not allowing those who turn 80 during their term to run—it sounds very reasonable. Jeff, keep in mind that full retirement, you know, is 70 years old. That—that's exactly right. I mean, it's 70. You all start collecting your Social Security because that is the full retirement age. Um, I don't know, Jeff. I think your idea makes a lot of sense. Um, even though I am a Republican, I see the problem that the Democratic Party has right now. All the main players are very old because they refuse to hand over the torch. Eventually, they will hit a wall with no one behind them with the experience to move forward. It's scary for a two-party system. It could split the government. And, and in fairness, you can point to uh, – look, I think Ronald Reagan was the greatest president of my lifetime. All right? There is no question that in his second term, he was going downhill. There's no question about it. Um, I'm just saying, while everybody ages differently, and I understand it's a little bit of an arbitrary limit, maybe this is what we need to do. Live
2: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner
3: Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Um, I, I watched the, the Bucks game. Last night, I mean, I'm telling you, I understand, you know, Boston was playing a little bit shorthanded, but this team has won 11 in a row, and they just, they find a way to win. They, They just, they find a way to win, and as long as they stay healthy... Um, and, you know, and you can put out Chris Middleton and you can put out Giannis and you can have Drew Holiday play. I, I think they've got as good a chance as any team in the NBA to win the championship again. And, you know, they've got a lot of complementary parts and a big win yesterday against uh, against Boston. Like I say, I know Boston was playing shorthanded, but. You know, still, you, you, you play the games and you end up winning. And then, of course, you know, Marquette, it, it is impossible to underscore what a significant game this is tonight. Marquette playing Xavier. Um, Xavier and Marquette are 1-2 in the Big East. And if Marquette were to win tonight, I think that would give, put him in the driver's seat, perhaps, to win the Big East. Um, um at least the regular season title. And how cool would that be? They've got, um, after tonight's game, there's, uh, let's see, one, two, three, there's four regular season games remaining. Uh, they got to go to play Creighton next Tuesday, and Creighton is a very, very good team. And, you know, they, they beat Creighton here, but um, it's going to be a tough game. But uh, after that, they play DePaul, then they play at Butler, then they play um, St. John's at home. And you you, you got to think that those last three games, they've got a good chance to win. Like I say, for a team that was picked to finish in the bottom third of the Big East to see where they are, it's just been an incredible accomplishment. And like I say, I, I know this is kind of a struggling year for Wisconsin men's basketball, but whether it's pro basketball with the Bucks or the resurgent, you know, Marquette Warriors or Golden Eagles, if you prefer, it's been just a, a great, you know, great season of uh, pitchers and catchers reporting very, very soon to spring training. Lots of people excited about that. I think, um, you know, w- one of the things, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping the Brewers do before the start of the the season is. You know, take some of that money they've made over the last couple of years where that they've banked uh, with the appreciation of the franchise and, and and invest it and figure out a way to sign maybe Willie Adamas and Corbin Burns and uh, maybe a couple of the other, uh, Brandon Woodruff. F- find a way to sign a couple of them to long-term contracts. I think that would go a long way to easing fan discomfort. So that's it. One of our textures said, you just jinxed the box. No, they're too good to be jinxed by stuff like that. Okay, I'm curious as to your reaction to this story. I have always maintained that if you buy a place near a shopping center, for example, you kind of give up your rights to complain about hey there, there's a lot of traffic that, that's coming in. I mean you, you you buy by a shopping center that's kind of the stuff that's going to to happen. And the idea is when for people who say well when I bought the uh, when I bought the house near the shopping center I didn't know that they were going to put a Target store up there which is now you know increase the the traffic. You, you knew you purchased by a, a shopping center and I think you know you had reason you, you had reason to expect that you know the shopping center if it's successful it would grow and you might have traffic there. Same thing to me is true with the airport. If you buy a home by the airport, I think as a general rule, you give up your right to complain about, hey, it's loud when the planes land and I've, or take off. And I've always been... Unsympathetic to the argument that, gee, when I bought next to this airport, it wasn't as busy as it was now. Well, you knew you were buying by an airport. And, and you know, and, and I think it was reasonable to expect that the airport might grow. And, and, and I know how inconvenient this can be. My, my late wife, her parents lived, they lived um, in Milwaukee, but it was on Norwich right, it was just a little bit north of Mitchell Field, and Norwich was this street that... Uh, the north side of the street was the city of Milwaukee. The south side of the street was St. Francis. So they had, a, they had a little house in on, on Norwich. And, I mean, I can remember going over on Sunday afternoons in the summer, and we'd sit out in the, you know, the backyard, and, and I'd be looking up, and you could, depending on which way the wind was blowing, I mean, you could, you'd could you see these jets coming in, and you'd hear the jets, and you could look up, and you could just, like, read the lettering on, on the jets. And it was just, it got to the point where I would go over there, and I'd go, my God, I, I can't believe this. But they they just became commonplace. It's just they they got used to all that. But it never occurred to anybody to complain that, gee, it's kind of loud on a Sunday afternoon here because they knew that there was this airport that was was there. And you knew that, you know, with that, maybe you get a little bit of a nicer house because the location isn't quite as desirable to some people. But that, that works for you as long as it doesn't bother you. Okay, so that's my general rule. But having said that, This is an interesting story, and both uh, Channel 4 and Channel 12 reported this. There is a company which has, in the last couple months, started going into business, and what they do is they do helicopter tours, and they're based out of, uh, they're an operator near the corner of Howell Avenue and, and Layton. So they're down in the, the airport and so by by the airport area. So what they they do is they they have these different tours where they will, you know, take people up and you know you can pay money and you can take a helicopter tour of, you know, Milwaukee and, and the area. And okay, it's a great business model and if if you've ever If you ever had a chance, if you ever have a chance to ride in a helicopter, my advice is on a clear day, go do it. It, It's a cool experience. And you get some, you know, if if you're not afraid of heights and things like that, you can get some like really, really spectacular views of stuff. So I, I understand. You know why this would be appealing, and I understand why people would do it. Well, here's the problem. You have all these neighbors that are down in the area who are going bonkers over this because this helicopter tour, they fly on weekends right now. And so what's happening is that they go up and they go over all these areas, and it is creating an enormous mess when it comes to noise. And apparently the, the neighbors are complaining to the alderman. Um, alderman from the area says, folks are used to hearing planes all the time. But what we have here is a completely different noise signature, a completely different volume, a completely different duration. One person um, apparently contacted the TV station and said, I felt like I was in a war zone. Before I knew what was happening, I thought there was a crime or a presidential visit. Um, the whole summer of this helicopter noise, a whole summer of helicopter noise, and I'll have to move out. Another neighbor says this this noise is an incredible nuisance that's here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. When I lived in Whitefish Bay, every once in a while, they they'd you know the tv stations would do like the friday night football and i lived um i lived about 3 blocks Away from Whitefish Bay High School, and every once in a while, like on a Friday night or a Saturday night, mostly it seemed to be Friday nights. All of a sudden, you know, you'd, you'd be sitting in the house and you'd hear this, you know, thumpa 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 thumpa, and you go, "What the heck is it?" And, and it, it wouldn't really go away. And what it was was those, those news. It was a news helicopter that was kind of like hanging out over the stadium, you know, filming stuff. And I, I acknowledge it was extremely uh, annoying. And it is a different sound than the planes going by. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. You know, again, I my general reaction is you, you move in by the airport, you got to understand that you're going to hear noise from planes. And you've got to understand that you're going to hear aviation noise. But in this particular situation, a, a new business that relies on, on helicopters and tours – Helicopters fly lower. Helicopters make a lot of noise. It's a different sort of noise, and it does it kind of constantly. I think these people have a legitimate beef, and I think that it's perfectly reasonable to expect this helicopter operator, if you're going to continue doing this, you have to make, some adjustments maybe it means going out over the lake maybe it means going higher I, I don't know how you you deafen the noise but I'm sympathetic with these neighbors because I don't think I would like it either and I think it is different than okay the wind is out of the east and so you know the, the landing path is going to be over my backyard that's different than having a helicopter Eight five five six one six one six twenty. what do you think we discuss in a moment Interesting reaction. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 616 1620 Now, what, what the airport says is the airport says that they have limited authority we're talking about this new business that's operating uh, right right in the area of the airport that's helicopters and they're they're taking tours of Milwaukee and stuff and they're doing it on weekends and neighbors are complaining about the the noise and they're saying look th- this isn't this isn't the noise you expect from an airport this isn't planes this is this new business that the choppers fly lower they make different noises they hover over these neighborhoods and it's disturbing and i will tell you i am i am sympathetic to, to this situation. The airport says the airport has limited authority because the FAA regulates and controls the use of airspace. As a public-use airport, Milwaukee does not have, Mitchell Field does not have the legal authority to prevent or restrict any aircraft, including helicopters, from operating here. Well, that, that could be, but the city of Milwaukee has the opportunity to, I mean, they close down nuisance bars all the time. So, I mean, I think they have every right to make sure that this is not, that this, this new business isn't unduly impacting the, the people who live by the airport. Jeff, I live four miles west of Kreitzfield in Waukesha. About a year ago, we started getting helicopters flying over our house daily. Yeah, they are they are noisy. Um. Jeff, um, I live in Bayview, close to the South Shore Yacht Club. The plane lights shine in my face in my bed. It's deafening. They fly crazy now. I called to see if we could receive some noise abatement over 12 years ago. They said we didn't live on a flight path. Baloney. You can't talk to someone outside when they fly over. They didn't fly over all summer because they were working on a runway. They came back in September. I was so disappointed. I don't understand why they can't fly over the freeway. Well, it is. It is just, I I'm, I mean, at least that's planes. And, and again, I, I understand you, you buy by the airport, and, and the airport's been operating. You, you haven't had commercial tour operators and helicopters there yet. Jeff, I agree. I, I grew up on 3rd and Norwich, and I agree. A helicopter is different. It makes me think it's military or the like. Yeah, you're going, okay, you know, what's... What's going on here? We've got the TV cameras that are over there. We got the SWAT team helicopter that's up there. You know what's going on. Jeff, I live near Frederick. The Flight for Life flies over all the time. I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Well, I guess I would have two comments. First of all, Flight for Life is to take Flight for Life taking people to a hospital. I view in a different category than a commercial operator taking people on, on pleasure tours on on a weekend. I mean, so far be it from me to, to stop Flight for Life. Secondly, my guess is, it is just a guess, my guess is that the number of times Flight for Life is operating, they're, they're flying overhead, they're landing wherever they land at, at Freighter, and then Hopefully, you know, then they're going back to wherever they're based out of whatever. That's different than a commercial business that's just operating like on Saturdays and Sundays and maybe plans to expand to other days. It's a flight for life, right? If you live near a hospital, I guess I would lump that into the same category of, look, you, you've got to expect that there's going to be some noise and it is flight for life, which at least in my mind is, is much different than, um, you know, much different than, a a commercial operation with a helicopter. Um, Jeff, I'm two blocks away from a trauma center hospital. Helicopters coming and going all hours of the day. I think you should tell people to just get over it. Look, I live live by a fire station and relatively close to a hospital. So there are times in the middle of the night when – I will wake up predominantly because the sirens wake my dog up and so she's up, so if Sasha's up, well dad's up, that's for sure. But I mean I again I, I don't complain. I, I understand you live by the fire station, you live close to the hospital, there are going to be the emergency vehicles that are going to be traveling and it might be a bit of a nuisance. But to me, again, that's that's different then this commercial operation that's out there. Jeff, the city needs to work with the FAA to establish a flight pattern for helicopter tours that's something like they do in national parks as well as for cities near Vegas. Jeff, if you move near an airport, what were you expecting? Well, you were expecting planes. You weren't expecting necessarily a commercial helicopter system that would um, operate. Jeff, they've got rules for drones flying in certain areas. I would think that they should be able to set up the same rules near um, that apply to helicopters. Jeff, yesterday in Waukesha, one helicopter was flying more than usual. It was extremely noisy. Um, yeah, I, I think you have to have a balance of that that's out there. And I think this is one where maybe the city of Milwaukee, if the airport says they can't do anything, the the city of Milwaukee needs to deal with it. Jeff, I bought a house a half a mile from train tracks. Yeah. And eventually we do hear it, but it's what we expected. And I get it. That's the other thing. That's why, you know, if you, there's a lot of reasons you go to look at a house and there's railroad tracks in the back. Well, there's, there's a couple factors. There's um, that's going to be, to most people, it's going to be less desirable because a lot of people don't want to live in an area where there's train tracks in their their backyard for a variety of reasons, one of which is noise. There's other reasons as well. But that's kind of like rolled in, and, and you know those train tracks were there before you built the house. In this case, those helicopters are new to the area. And to me, I think that's where the distinction is. Oh, here's sad news. Okay, guys, can I see a show of hands? Everybody remember, anybody remember the actress Raquel Welch? Well, I will tell you, um this is a little bit before my time, but Raquel Welch was I don't know, back in the 60s, she was She was the, the Hollywood sex symbol of the 60s. Um, you can remember she was, she was in one million years BC and there was a, that, there was this very famous poster of her in this kind of like loin claw thing and, um, she was in Fantastic Voyage, which was a, a great, great movie. Um, she was, uh, you know, had done a lot of, of different, stuff over the years. I bring this up because breaking news story is following a brief illness, uh Raquel Welch passed away today at the age of um at the age of 82. And like I say there was it is impossible to state just how how big and how successful an actress she was at at that time, um, just incredible. I'm trying to think of some of the movies that she was in um, over the, the years, but uh, did a lot of TV work as well. But just um, she was, like I say, the ultimate sex symbol of the the '60s. And um, you know, maybe you know, maybe the, you know, she could have been a bigger star, but uh, she. I see. There's lots of people who, in the the 60s, what you found is you you would find that that poster of her from one million BC it would be up on uh, up on the walls of lots of college kids. Okay, here is the story I want to talk to you about. There's this woman. Um, her name was Jan Angel, and she ran she ran like a cupcake store, a bakery in Oakland, California. She was a self-described anarchist. She extremely left wing did not believe in the police w- was an advocate for defund the police and I mean defund the police that police are occupying forces etc etc she did not believe that people should be incarcerated I mean she she felt strong didn't believe in capital punishment but she also didn't believe in jail her feeling was you you send people to jail and it just it makes them worse. All right, so why do I, why do I bring this up? Because um, she died the other day. She was apparently in her car, outside of a, of a, it was parked like outside of like a Wells Fargo bank in in the Oakland area. Um, robbers, armed robbers, smashed the windows of her car and started to, to drive away with her belongings. She apparently, witnessed this and she began to run after the robbers. Hey, you that's my come back. So she's running after the robbers. According to the, the stories I have, as she's chasing after them, she gets stuck somehow in their vehicle door as they are fleeing from the crime scene. And I'm not sure exactly how that happened. The reports just say she got latched um, to their vehicle door. So they're driving away. She's stuck on the door. She was reportedly dragged on the ground for more than 50 feet uh, before her head crashed into the sidewalk. Huh. So she then is separated. The car drives off. They haven't caught the people that do it. Um, she, she died in the hospital you know, a couple days ago. So that's the, that's the deal. Um, it's because of the injuries that she sustained in the robbery. The family, her family and friends, are out there with a very public statement saying they do not want the robbers to be prosecuted. They said that Angel had reportedly been a social movement activist and an anarchist for a long time. Her family said that the victim did not believe in, in, carse, in carceral Punishment, which I think is a fancy way of saying she didn't believe in putting people in jail and didn't believe in incarceration as an effective solution to social justice. Um, a close friend of hers said, Well, we, we think that you know uh, Angel would affirm that putting people in jail would only cause them further harm, so you know we 'd like to find some sort of restorative justice or things like that so she 's saying i, I don 't want them, i don 't want to prosecute it they 're looking for the authorities are looking for these people because they think they 're responsible for for murder, so certainly armed robbery and perhaps murder. Our number 855-616-1620, six one six twenty that 's the old national bank talk and text line." The woman who spent her life as an anarchist advocating against incarceration, advocating for the abolishment of the police, she's killed during a violent crime. And now her friends and family are saying, well, to honor her memory, we should effectively not do anything to the people that killed her. What do you think about that response? Should authorities honor what they perceive to be the wishes of the dead woman from beyond the grave, or is there another consideration? 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Do you honor what people say the victim's wishes would be or not? And if not, why not? 855-616-1620. I have a very strong feeling on this. We'll discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. 48-year-old woman in Oakland, California, who is a self-proclaimed anarchist, uh, believes in defunding the police, doesn't believe people should be sent to prison. Um, She's killed. Uh, in a robbery that happens the, the other day, what happens is she comes out, she finds that her car has been busted into, people are, like, stealing stuff. She chases after them, gets caught. It's, uh, the description I have is she gets latched onto the car, gets dragged 50 feet, hits her head on the concrete, and dies. Her family is now saying to honor her memory, the authorities should not prosecute and try to incarcerate the people who are responsible for her death, who, by the way, are, are still at large. What do you think about that? Let's start with Jack in Caledonia. Jack, good afternoon.
2: You take care. Hey, Jack. Hey, how are we doing today?
3: Good. What, um, what do you as, think? As far
2: as this indi- well, as far as this individual is concerned, um, we live in a society that has uh, norms and laws. Um,
1: the United States is a republic governed by law, and we you know we have a representative
2: government. So we've all agreed that these are the laws we want to live by. An individual doesn't have the right to say, no. You know, I'm going to opt out of this one, and if somebody harms
1: me, you know they they can go free. All right, right. It, it, it's just not
3: going to work out. You know, no, the, Jack. Thanks. The, the no, no. Thanks to call. To no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not mean to cut you off. I I, I agree with you. See, th- th- this is the deal. It, it's not just her wishes. I mean, obviously, as a prosecutor, um, you you want to keep take into account the the wishes of of the victim to an extent. But at the same time, there, there is a larger point. Okay, what, what happens if you let these two guys go? If you let the people in the car, the armed robbers, go? What, what happens? Well, I'll tell you, they're going to do it again. They're going to break into other cars. They're going to kill other people. It's not for this woman's family members, to say, well, well, you know, she wouldn't want them to be prosecuted. That's not her concern. It's not just whether she believes in prison. It's the interest that society has in making sure that, okay, people who are doing this stuff are taken off the street. You cannot bring her back, but you can at least protect the rest of us from these people that are out there on the street. Let's talk to Susie in Port Washington. Susie, you're on WTMJ.
0: (laughs) Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm saying this uh, facetiously because this is not how I feel, but it's all her fault. What was she doing chasing if she doesn't believe in incarceration? What was she going to do to him? Um, This is as much as self inflicted. Maybe the defense can go with uh, death by perpetrator, you know?
3: Well, I, I, yeah, it is kind of interesting that, you know, why, what, why, what were you, right, what were you, thanks to Call Susie, I mean, I, I look, and I, I mean to be flipped, the woman lost her life. She is a victim of, of crime, and that that's horrible. She's yet another victim of crime. But you do kind of wonder what's going through your mind. Was she going to try to run down the, these armed, armed robbers and convince them to give her her stuff back, or. Try to say, hey, you know, I'm 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 down with the struggle here. I I want to overthrow government as well, and I don't want the cops and stuff. But you know, give me my things back. It, it, no, I mean, I'm I'm sure what happened here is she comes out, she gets hacked off that she sees her car has been broken into and people have stolen her stuff. And I mean, that's the, you know, the old joke is that you know, uh, uh, liberals are simply uh, conser- liberals are simply conservatives, uh, are conservatives simply liberals until they've been you know robbed, at which point in time, you you have kind of a a different thought about that. Jeff, I totally agree. This really honks me off. Um, Well, well, uh, Jeff, it's important to get criminals off the streets. Well, I think so. Um, Jeff, I'm sorry. I don't care what the victim might have wanted posthumously. The rest of us still deserve a safer place to live. So if caught, they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, including murder, if that is the correct charge in this case. Yeah, see, I mean, and you do take into account, as a prosecutor, you you do take into account the desires of victims to to a point, you know, and and maybe it's one of these things where you know you're you're all about restitution, and so okay, you can structure a sentence. The prosecutor goes to the victim and says, okay, well, you know, we're. We're going to, you know, propose this sentence, and maybe it's not as much jail time, but you're going to get restitution, or, or what's the important thing for you? Or, you know, this whole idea of what's the restorative justice thing, where you sit down and the people, hey, I apologize, I'm, I'm sorry I broke into your car, stole all your stuff, and damn near killed you. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Jeff, sure, I have no problem with this. Leave the criminals out there to commit another robbery and perhaps murder Um, I am fairly certain her family could get creative and honor her memory in another way. Um, Yeah, I think that there's, uh, you know, an an issue with that. Ron and Racine. Ron, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yeah, Jeff, what an ironic story. I kind of had the same thought that Susie did, and that's what was she doing chasing after the car? And I'm wondering if as she got older, maybe, Her thoughts on things changed or something because it goes against everything that she was seemed like she was for.
3: Well, yeah, Ron, thanks for the call. I I just it it is. I mean, it is. Look, I mean, I I get what happens here. I I don't care how liberal you are. I, I don't care how much of an anarchist you are. You come out and somebody is ripping off your stuff. You know, what's your reaction gonna be? You're gonna go, hey, that's, that's my stuff. That's my car that I used to drive around in. That's, you know, you've got my purse or whatever. And so I'm sure it's just human nature that no matter how philanthropic, how progressive you might be, how woke you might be, when you see a couple people busting into your car and driving down the street, ripping off your stuff, your first reaction is, wait a second, what are they, what are they doing? Now, again, I don't know what she would have done had the car stopped um my guess is if the car had stopped these were armed robbers um they they would have probably just shot her that would be my guess but that's not what happened they didn't stop they they just dragged her down the street and ultimately she died in that fashion but there is there is this irony that's out there again that you know the the woman who wanted to defund the police dies as a victim of of a robbery that being said I appreciate where she's coming from, I guess. Don't understand it, but I appreciate that perspective. But, no, you don't let her go. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff. Um, yeah, I'm just going to repeat what was already said, just that um, these, I would not honor these requests. I would lock these guys up because you want to prevent them from doing it
2: to somebody yeah. else, and you got to keep them off the streets.
3: Yeah, no, thanks for the call, Jeff. That's it. that That's it. You lock them up because it's the, the best way that you could, in my opinion, honor this woman's memory is to make sure that other innocent people don't lose their lives because... I don't know, somebody who's an anarchist who doesn't believe in cops lets people who don't share that opinion out there to victimize somebody else. Okay, that's just about it for me.